Everybody, it's time to believe in the Big 12. If you're a Big 12 baller, this podcast is the place for you. Every week, we dive into the hot topics surrounding Big 12 football and even some basketball. Guest stars, former players, industry experts, conference shakeups, hoops hypotheticals, football fantasies, you name it, we have it. In the process, we'll look at marquee matchups, roster comparisons, coaching carousels, and analysis of big-time moments. You will literally feel like you are etched into the fabric of the Big 12. From the creation of basketball to history repeating itself on the gridiron, our take on all things Big 12 will have you glued to the edge of your seat. So whether you've got a favorite Big 12 team or are just a fan of the conference, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Welcome to the Believe in the Big 12 podcast, a proud member of the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number seven of the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. And on behalf of the entire Believe Podcast Network, before we kick off, I have to ask, do you believe... And more importantly, for our purposes, do you believe in the Big 12? Because the Big 12 is very interesting right now. A lot of interesting football games, a lot of interesting storylines, a lot of big news. A lot of games that were more interesting than we thought they would be. And more games that weren't. But what is consistent right now is that every Big 12 team is on the cusp of defining their 2021 season for good. Now, for those who weren't here last time, we did our fourth ever set of power rankings, and again, it was awesome. But these, again, aren't just any power rankings. These were the ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. Why, you may ask? Because, even though they won't officially be joining the Big 12 until 2023, we've been including Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF in the rankings. It's only right, because they're going to be in this bad boy of a conference soon, and we need to see how they're going to stack up. So we got to start pretending like this is a new reality from here on out, because it is. And even though they're on their way out, we're going to include Texas and Oklahoma until they're officially gone. So, once again, welcome to this week's edition of the ultra-super-massive Big 12 Power Rankings, exclusively on the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. Here we go. At number one, we have Cincinnati. They stay in the top spot, the Bearcats, which, again, for those who didn't learn from the last podcast, is some sort of odd fusion between a bear and a cat. I don't know. I've never seen one in the wild, but I have heard tales of their grandiosity, their majesty, and their ferocity. I've even heard of the U.S. government stepping in to address the danger that Bearcats pose to society. You know what they did? They sent in the flippin' Navy. And not even the Navy could stop them. Eh? See what I did there? Anybody? Because Cincinnati played Navy this past weekend. No, really. Cincinnati stood firm and toppled the Navy midshipmen as they stormed in to try and take down the Bearcats. The Bearcats haven't played in a lot of close games this year, but this one spoke volumes to their maturation as a team. 
Some might say this team doesn't belong in the number two slot in the country because of this game, because it was a little too close. But I think it will be incredibly beneficial for the Bearcats' college football playoff and national championship hopes. And it's precisely the reason they should be in the number two spot in the country. Cincinnati needed a close game. I feel very good about leaving them in the number one spot this week. Why? Two words. Mental toughness. Let's talk about mental toughness. Now, anyone close to me knows that mental health is very important to me. But mental toughness is not mental health. Some equate the two. So let's, let's bear that out a little bit. The Bearcats have both. They take care of themselves mentally, and they're resilient mentally. They actually want themselves to succeed and will do what it takes to get there. Coach Luke Fickle and his team had to sit through, even tolerate, a very atypical slow start. When things weren't coming easily, they stayed the course. They had difficulty stopping Navy's flustering triple option offense, which is like being in a funhouse filled with mirrors. Where do I look? Where do I look? Help! I mean, ah, he's already in the end zone. It's nauseating. But Cincinnati held on to take a double-digit lead in the second half and close out the win. Coach Fickle said that they have to be better and find ways to close things out when they're up by a significant margin and cut down on mistakes, which they made a lot of in the first half. But he ultimately echoed my sentiment that this was good for the Bearcats. He said, I'm somewhat disappointed we couldn't and didn't close things out well today, but we needed a challenge and we got one. That's good coach speak right there. The Bearcats led by 17 at one point, but didn't secure victory until Arquan Bush intercepted a pass with 25 seconds left to seal the deal. Granted, Navy should have never had the ball or an opportunity to tie the game by recovering an onside kick with 48 seconds left. You can't let that happen. But Cincinnati showcased its resilience in response, just like they did in the whole contest. Case in point. The midshipmen of Navy didn't trail until a wild swing at the end of the first half. With the game tied at 10, Navy was driving and looked poised to use up the remaining time in the second quarter and possibly score. But after losing yards on back-to-back big-time plays by Cincinnati, the midshipmen had to try a 51-yard field goal. And guess what happened next? The kick was blocked. And Cincinnati's Deshaun Pace nearly ran it back for a touchdown but he stepped out of bounds with one second left. That was enough time for Alex Bales to kick a 52-yard field goal and give the Bearcats a 13-10 lead. The takeaway, a game against a 1-6 Navy team never should have been this close, but ultimately, this is good for Cincinnati. They had to stay tough when Navy was driving and turned it around into points for themselves. It'll help them shore up their offense for this final playoff push and give them confidence in their defense. Number one. Coming in at number two, we have the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, I almost moved them down a spot for their performance this week, almost losing to the Kansas Jayhawks, who have been in last place in these ultra-supermassive Big 12 power rankings every single week. Are you kidding me? The only thing that was moving well for Oklahoma were Caleb Williams' legs. But hey, he showed us why he's the reason Oklahoma is in the cream of the crop and likely heading to the college football playoff. Williams straight up bailed out Oklahoma this past weekend. He converted two absolutely critical fourth downs in the fourth quarter, one being a 40-yard touchdown run 
that if you were watching, you knew killed any hope of an enormous Kansas upset. The Sooners trailed by double figures twice, including 10-0 at the half, but they outscored the Jayhawks 35-13 in the second half to win their 16th straight game. Much like Cincinnati, I don't care who your opponent is, that's mental toughness, being able to come back from a double-digit deficit. Coach Lincoln Riley isn't shying away from the reality, though. He admitted that Oklahoma played poor football in the first half, and he let his players know it at halftime. And that probably made them mentally tougher as well. A 66-yard run by Trayvon West sparked Oklahoma and led to a touchdown pass from Williams that cut the lead to three. And mark my words, if Oklahoma wins the national championship this year, it will absolutely be because of Caleb Williams. He makes miracle plays. Like this one. If you didn't see this highlight, I'd strongly recommend finding it. When KU cut the lead to 28-23, to and Oklahoma faced a fourth and one that they had to convert, running back Kennedy Brooks looked like he was about to be stopped short. And guess what Caleb Williams did? He ran up to him, took the ball out of his hands, and then knifed his way for the first down. That is thinking on your feet. That is toughness. And I want to amend my earlier statement. Caleb Williams will be a big part of why Oklahoma has a shot to be in the national championship game. But this game against Kansas is a bigger factor in why they have a shot at being in the national championship game. It taught them that calculated risks pay off, just like mental toughness. Even more interesting is that Coach Riley said they prepare for scenarios like that. No wonder they're a championship hopeful. Ready for anything. Number two. Number three, we have Texas. Now I know, you're probably saying, what? How? They were on a bye this week. And how could they be ahead of Baylor, who's actually a ranked team? We'll have more on that later. That would overlook the fact that the team who was ranked above them in these rankings last time, number eight in the country, Oklahoma State, suffered a brutal upset to Iowa State over this past weekend. And it would overlook the fact that Texas has played just as tough of competition as Baylor and played them just as well. They actually played Oklahoma State better than Baylor did, and they're just the more explosive team. Baylor has put up 66 points. I'll give you that. But it was against Texas Southern. Texas put up 70 against Texas Tech, an actually formidable defense in the Big 12, even if they're lower down in these rankings. Case closed. Anyhow, Texas didn't have a game, so not much to report here. But expect more fireworks from running back Bijan Robinson and QB Casey Thompson next week when they revive play on October 30th. Number four, we have Iowa State, the Cyclones, and they leapfrog two teams to take number four in our power rankings. And this is a very hard part of the rankings to unpack. I went back and forth on this a lot, but Iowa State deserves to be here. Now, I know you're going to say, dude, you just said that at best, they'll switch places with Kansas State if they beat them. Well, guess what? They did. And then they beat Oklahoma State in a gutsy performance. They really outdid themselves. Quarterback Brock Purdy threw for a killer 307 yards and two touchdowns and a true gem of an offensive performance. And you know the concept of Mr. October in baseball? 
Well, Iowa State is team October in college football. The Cyclones won their third straight game to improve to a whopping 16-2 in October since 2017. And now they've won their ninth Big 12 home game in a row, the longest streak of its kind in the Big 12. But this wasn't about offense. This was about defense. Iowa State's defense stopped Oklahoma State twice in the final five minutes to preserve their lead after Brees Hall ran it in to give the Cyclones the lead. And on the last stop, they swarmed the quick pass that Spencer Sanders made to Brennan Presley and kept Presley inches short from the first down. Game over. Coach Matt Campbell summed it up best. The character of this game is what we've talked about. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to be easy. Sounds like a good culture in that Iowa State locker room. The Cyclone fans stormed the field, and the Cyclone team stormed my heart. Number four. Number five, Baylor. Baylor was also on a bye week here, just like Texas, so we don't have much to report. Oh, except the fact that they play Texas next. This issue is going to be solved once and for all. Coming off of a convincing victory against BYU, Baylor will be ready to fight after the time off. But like I said, I do think Texas is more explosive. So this matchup will be do or die for Baylor. It's a critical game for them to stay in the race for second place in the Big 12. Who will stay in the top five of our rankings, Baylor or Texas? Let the game begin. Number six, we have Oklahoma State. Wow, the end of an eight-game win streak, and in stunning fashion. It also happened in Ames, Iowa. A loss to Iowa State for the first time since 2011. And now they're lumped into a three-way tie with Iowa State and Baylor for second place in the Big 12. They really needed that win. Oklahoma State could have differentiated themselves from Baylor and Iowa State, but blew that opportunity. Sure, they managed three touchdowns, but they blew multiple offensive series due to shoddy play calling and execution, especially at the end. Throwing a quick strike on fourth and two that was stuffed short of the line to gain? Come on. You have to run something more like a slant off of a chip by the tight end or running back, or roll right and trail your receivers. No matter what, make sure you have receivers past the line of scrimmage, which they did not. For that reason, Oklahoma State falls to number 6. Kind of felt like they gave this game away. But oh well, they still have a shot at 2nd place in the Big 12. Next up, number 7, Kansas State. This is a tough one because BYU has a better record. But Kansas State barely beat a pretty terrible Texas Tech team. But guess what? BYU barely beat an even worse team in Washington State. So the Wildcats get the edge. Kansas State ended its longest Big 12 losing streak since joining the league in 1996 and scored a sixth straight win against Texas Tech in that series. Skylar Thompson passed for 296 yards and the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter, and Kansas State came up with sacks on the final two plays by the Red Raiders in a 25-24 victory Saturday. We didn't change that many calls. We just played them better. That's what Kansas State's coach Chris Kleiman who was 3-0 against Matt Wells of Texas Tech, had to say. And that's in a matchup of coaches who joined the conference together in 2019. 
pretty good to be 3-0 and against your counterpart. Big news on that front later in the rankings. But for now, Kleiman said it was a very simple game plan. We told the guys we were going to keep the game plan really simple so they could play fast. In the first half, we played fast and made mistakes. And in the second half, we kept it pretty simple, played faster, and made plays. They learned from the first half. And Skylar Thompson's 22-yard touchdown pass to Deuce Vaughn with just over six minutes left helped the Wildcats, who were 4-3 and three and 1-3 and three in the Big 12, rally from a 24-10 halftime deficit with a second-half shutout that featured an impressive safety, forcing a four-yard loss in the end zone. They kept it simple, and when they were down, came back for a win. That's good enough for number seven, holding down the fort as the halfway marker in our ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. Next up, at number eight, the aforementioned BYU. BYU has a chance to redeem itself against Virginia this weekend, but right now, they deserve to be here in our rankings. Only beating a lowly Washington State team by two points? Not a good look. Especially trying to establish yourself in the Big 12. Sure, their ground game was absolutely dominant again, and Tyler Algier straight showed out for 191 yards and two touchdowns. But for how much production they had on the ground, they did not score enough points. QB Jaron Hall also didn't provide enough support through the air, only tallying 143 yards. They especially should have beaten up on Washington State more, given that their coach was just fired for refusing to get a COVID vaccine. They allowed running back Max Borgie to run all over them for three touchdowns and consistently put together long, time-consuming drives, hence the low score for BYU. That said, Great effort and awareness stopping Washington State on a two-point conversion to tie the game. From there, BYU did what it does best. They ran the ball and ran out the clock. A good, solid victory. It just shouldn't have been this close. So they fall in our rankings. Number nine, we have Houston. Just a reminder as to why they're here in the rankings. Their lone game against a Big 12 opponent, they were beat by 17. They're lucky they sneak into the top 10, but I like a lot of things about this team. That said, this past week, they did play another middling team, although kudos to the middling team for putting up a fight. Houston did win, but needed overtime to do it, and that's not good. They were competing with weather, so I cut them some slack there, and they did a good job of keeping their composure amid long lightning delays, and I mean five hours long. The game didn't finish until about midnight. They almost gave the game away, too. They had a crucial turnover on their first play from scrimmage right after Eastern Carolina had scored, giving them a short field and allowing them to force overtime. The only saving grace that keeps them in the top 10 is Clayton Toon, throwing for 169 yards and two touchdowns. Not the best overall performance, but Clayton Toon was a bright spot, and it's a win nonetheless, and you can't ignore their 6-1 and record. They need to protect the ball more, or they're in danger of losing this spot, but they look like a consistent and solid team overall. Number 9. Number 10, we have West Virginia. And give them credit, they stuck to their game plan and stayed with the game, even when the game started with a TCU kick return for a touchdown. And they did their best to stuff TCU's run game, which I said they needed to do to win this week and stay in the top 10. 
TCU's running back Zach Evans is third in the country at 7.9 yards per carry. And guess what? West Virginia held him to 3.4 yards per carry. Cut it in half. That's resilience. West Virginia running back Letty Brown ran for three touchdowns, and his one-yard plunge in the second quarter put them ahead for good. More importantly, this victory was a morale boost, a moral victory. It helped West Virginia avoid their worst start in Big 12 play since joining the league nine years ago. They also swarmed the ball in the secondary, securing two interceptions. I was watching, and I have to say I was very impressed with how they jammed TCU's receivers at the line and flipped their hips at just the perfect time when TCU tried to strike downfield. It was a solid defensive victory, holding TCU to just 17 points. And this came two weeks after getting blown out by Baylor. That's a good job of having a short-term memory. It's like Ted Lasso says, be a goldfish. Have a 10-second memory. They were the West Virginia goldfish this week. Jared Doge threw for 257 yards, and they showed impressive balance on offense. They had 24 first downs. 24 in this game. That's how you win. Efficient performance. Number 11, we have TCU. And TCU looked like a hot mess. The run game wasn't there, which isn't usually the case. And that completely made them rely on the passing game way too much. And the passing game was just not there too. QB Max Duggan threw two interceptions, equaling his total from the first six games of the season. And TCU lost for the fourth time in five games, three of those at home. They also lost a fumble to end any hopes of a late rally. And the defense isn't doing squat diddly either. TCU's defensive reputation has been predicated on putting pressure on quarterbacks, but they just haven't been able to get sacks this year. The good news is their coach seems resilient. TCU coach Gary Patterson said, You've got to play good defense. You can't turn the ball over. You've got to manage the game. And defensively, you've got to get those stops. He's focused on the future and what they need to improve right now. He knows what they did wrong and will work to correct it. So for now, at least, TCU is right on the cusp of the top 10. So they have that going for him. Number 12, Texas Tech. Well, we called it. Coach Matt Wells is out at Texas Tech. There goes the first coaching carousel update on the Believe in the Big 12 podcast. For a reminder, he had a .364 winning percentage with the Red Raiders, which was the third worst in program history. Texas Tech did show some fight in this matchup and took a two-touchdown lead into halftime, but just gave the game away after that. The Red Raiders did reach Kansas State's 46-yard line with three minutes to go, but then gave up a monster sack on 4th and 16, which iced the game. Then Texas Tech committed a brutal hands-to-the-face penalty that gave the Wildcats an automatic first down on 3rd and 34. Are you kidding me? At that point, I gotta say, you deserve to lose the game because that is on 34 yards to give up a little ticky-tack penalty like that. Just make like Selena Gomez and keep your hands to yourself. And don't give up a safety. That ended up costing them the game, too. It was like Texas Tech just went downhill after their first two offensive snaps, which were huge runs by receivers, mind you, and after they recovered a fumble on the kickoff after that. They really just shot themselves in the foot. Number 12. Number 13, 
UCF. And this was a fun night for UCF on Space Night, which is a themed night that honors their ties to the nation's space program. Complete with the unveiling of special uniforms, the Knights, ironically, stayed on the ground. (laughs) Running back Ryan O'Keefe rushed for one touchdown, caught a pass for another, and led UCF to a 24-7 victory. They gained 215 yards on the ground and made up for an abysmal passing night where they only tallied 63 yards through the air. That was quarterback Mikey Keene's lowest number since the season opener. The defense had their back, though, and the secondary was flying around the field, scoring three interceptions, including a game sealer with less than five minutes remaining. Good, solid victory, and keeps UCF from falling to last place. Which, sadly, brings us back to the Kansas Jayhawks at number 14. They stay put. Which sucks, I know, because they did put up a very valiant effort against Oklahoma. But still, they gave the game away, and they allowed Caleb Williams to convert on two crucial fourth downs in the fourth quarter, one with a back-breaking 40-yard touchdown run. Kansas was up by double figures on multiple occasions, including 10-0 at the half and 17-7 late in the third quarter. Quarterback Jason Bean passed for 246 yards and a score for KU, against a really strong Oklahoma defense. But ultimately, it was his defense that couldn't back him up. That said, they should really pat themselves on the back. Tough loss, but at least Kansas coach Lance Leopold said, I'm proud of our guys and the way the first half especially went. So he did caveat that it was only the first half that he was proud of, but hey, that's better than no halves. So, He went on to say, we were able to mix some things together and keep their explosive offense off the field. And I know they're still at number 14 and didn't move up, but just like West Virginia, this was a huge moral victory for the Kansas Jayhawks, and they have that to lean on. To sum up, the Big 12 is really coming together, and it's very exciting. It's Cincinnati and Oklahoma, and then everyone else. Well, not exactly. It's Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, and then everyone else. That's because Iowa State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State all have an outside shot at catching Cincinnati and Oklahoma in these rankings. But let's be real. It isn't going to happen. And after those teams, there's a middle of the pack that really won't budge for the rest of the season. You know, aside from trading places here and there. And same with the bottom of the pack. It's really about the cream of the crop at this point. The lower teams might have one last shot to play spoiler, but it's really about who, between Oklahoma and Cincinnati, who both seem destined to make the college football playoff, will establish dominance in the ultra-super-massive Big 12 power rankings. The Big 12 is awesome, and we are getting close to figuring out who belongs at the very top and who fills out the rest of the landscape. Stay tuned. We'll see you next week after a crazy set of games unfolds this weekend. And we'll be back with another edition of the ultra super massive Big 12 Power Rankings. So share this episode with a friend and we will see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.